You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Erico here with uh, Ryan Goldfarb, as always. And I'm Ryan Goldfarb here, here with John Erico, as always. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we should actually mix that up. I, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but we uh, are very excited that you're listening to us. We're doing a great episode today on Opportunity Zone funds, Opportunity Zone properties, Opportunity Zone investing. This is a question that I've received a lot in my day-to-day -day life about what is an opportunity zone, what's an opportunity zone property, why should I invest in opportunity zones? And the reason that Ryan and I know a little bit about this topic is that we are currently investing in an opportunity zone in Atlantic City. So if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, we've talked about Atlantic City. We've mentioned that Atlantic City, a portion, a portion of Atlantic City is in an opportunity zone. And uh, I think it'd be great to explain what that is allow people to uh, learn a little bit about it and uh, maybe get into uh, some details as to why it might be a good idea. I think we might even contrast it with other forms of uh, tax advantage investing like a 1031 exchange. But why don't we just um, start at the very beginning. Ryan, do you want to talk about what an opportunity zone is? I guess as a starting point, let's talk about the origins of it. So opportunity zones are a relatively new thing. I think they were born out from the... or out of the 2018 Tax and Jobs Act or whatever the abbreviation for that is. And it was designed as a instrument via policy to incentivize economic development and I think specifically development of real property and businesses in specific targeted zip codes. So I think the way that it was ultimately administered is that each state was tasked with identifying certain census tracts or zip codes that met certain criteria. And generally, this was based on having lower than average income and higher poverty and uh, other sources of blight. And the goal of the program was to offer an incentive to bring more capital in to redevelop that property and to invest in businesses in those specific areas. So there are a number of tax benefits to that program, and we'll get into those shortly. But just as a high level, if we want to get some quick definitions out of the way, there are qualified opportunity zones, which are truly specific areas that you can see on a map um, that are laid out pretty clearly. You can find them any number of platforms online that have sort of like interactive maps you can click on and go to a specific area and it'll highlight areas that fall within a qualified opportunity zone. So you'll often see that abbreviated as a QOZ. And based on a number of requirements uh, as per, I guess it's IRS code, part of the tax code, and I think also consistent with the actual legislation that was passed, you can take advantage of the opportunity zones by either investing in qualified opportunity zone property or a qualified opportunity zone business. Um, so, John, I think maybe you can give a more clear example or a more clear definition yeah. of those. But let's start, well, start off with what is a qualified opportunity zone property? So a qualified opportunity zone property is a property, a piece of land or a building in a qualified opportunity zone. 
And as Ryan mentioned, one of the big ways, I should say the primary way that Opportunity Zones work is by providing financial incentives to the private market. So there's no public real you know, intervention in this at all. The whole thesis of the plan is to incentivize private developers to come in uh, and invest in these areas by offering them uh, pretty substantial tax breaks. But to get the definition sections done, a, a qualified opportunity zone property is a piece of property in an opportunity zone, qualified opportunity zone. And to take advantage of the opportunity zone, you must do one of two things to the property. You either have to put the property into its original use or initial use, or you have to substantially rehabilitate or improve the property. So very briefly, to put a property into its original use means essentially to build a new structure. I think that's the most simple way to describe it. There, there are ways to transform existing structures from one use to a different use. But what most developers, I believe, real estate investors interpret that as is taking vacant land or land that has an unoccupied building or something on it, tearing it down and creating a new building, like putting that structure into its first use, original use. The second way to qualify for this benefit is to substantially improve the property and that means to uh, invest an amount that's equal to the appraised building or improvement value of the property. So for example, if you buy a property that is for $200,000 and the improvements on the property are valued at $100,000, you are tasked with investing at least $100,000 into that uh, specific property to qualify for the tax benefits. And there are some other caveats to that in terms of timing and deployment of capital and all that that I think are not super relevant to this overview of it. And there are also other uh, things that you can do with the property besides what I just described. But those are the main ways that people invest in qualified opportunity zone properties. So we also have qualified opportunity zone businesses. That's not entirely relevant to this discussion, but just at a high level, the platform also allows for the ability to oper- or to invest in qualified opportun- opportunity zone businesses in these same qualified opportunity zones. So if, for example, you wanted to not just invest in rental property, but invest in a local business, let's say a car wash or a laundromat, you would have the ability to do that. And there are ways to structure it that would offer similar tax benefits to what we're talking about on the real estate investment side. Right. You can also think of a qualified opportunity zone business as like a holding company for real estate. So if you have a single purpose vehicle to own real estate in, that itself is a qualified opportunity zone business, which itself owns qualified opportunity zone property. But again, that's not exactly, uh, that's a little bit more in the weeds, I think, than than might be uh, relevant to understand what's going on. The key thing to remember is that to take advantage of opportunity zone investing, you need to A, buy property within a qualified opportunity zone, which is a very limited set of areas. I mean, in some cities you can look and it's literally like a couple of blocks of the city. So you need to be very specific about that. And then you need to either substantially improve the property, which is to say invest in an amount equal to the uh, appraised value of the improvements on the property, or put the property into its original use, which is to say, basically build something new on the property. Now that we've got the definitions out of the way, let's talk a little bit about the benefits of it. I just want to touch on one definition further that might be relevant to what we're going to talk about, which is a qualified opportunity zone fund. Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund is a fund, so essentially a pool of money, and this could be just your own money, that invests exclusively, more or less exclusively, in Qualified Opportunity Zone properties or businesses. So it's one layer of abstraction uh, above that. You can have a fund that would invest in multiple Opportunity Zone properties or Opportunity Zone Zone businesses, 
And therefore, uh, you know, the, the idea being that if you're investing in an opportunity zone, the uh, code, the regulation is written in such a way to encourage a lot of investment. So if you want to buy multiple pieces of property, multiple pieces of land, you can do that through a qualified opportunity zone fund or a QOZ, as some people would call it, or QOF, I'm sorry, QOZF, QOZF or a QOF, uh, depending on whatever abbreviation you would like. Let's try this again. So now we've got the definitions out I'm of the sorry. way. I'm sorry. No, that's good. That was definitely an important thing to highlight. Now that we've got the definitions out of the way, let's talk about the appeal of this program. So why is it that someone might be interested in investing in a qualified opportunity zone fund or in, in a qualified opportunity zone property or in a qualified opportunity zone business as opposed to just buying a piece of property and treating it as if it's any old piece of property? Yeah, and the answer, as I think, uh, the answer to almost every question is taxes. <laughs> so um, the way that opportunity zones work is that there are large tax incentives for uh, investors and developers to invest in these areas. Um, and that is mostly borne out in this case by the treatment of capital gains and your basis in these properties. So it can get a little bit complex, um, I think, if you're not familiar with um, with some of this. But I, I'm just going to make the assumption that uh, our listeners are familiar with the concept of basis, which is essentially the amount of money that you've originally put into an investment. I think that's maybe the easiest way to describe it. So it, 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 right. like, not, not to be the bearer of bad news, but I think the something else to keep in mind here is this is specific to a capital investment or specific to investment property. And if you are a flipper, generally speaking, flips are not going to qualify because you're not typically generating a capital gain when you're flipping. You're generally generating ordinary income. So uh, one more reason to buy investment property instead of flipping. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're talking about the taxation of capital gains. So I think that the easiest way to think about basis and capital gains is not in the real estate context, but in the stock market context. In the real estate context, you have depreciation and all sorts of things that might adjust your basis. In the stock market, say you buy a share of a stock and it costs $100. That $100 is your basis in the stock. And regardless of whatever happens to the stock, if it goes up, if it goes down, if you hold the stock for 100 years, your basis in the stock is going to be $100. If the stock increases in value and you've, hold, you've held the stock for a requisite number of time, which is generally for at least a year, the gains that you make, so now maybe your, stock, your share of stock is worth $200, your basis in the stock is still your original $100, but now you have $100 of gains that are subject to uh, tax. And if you held it for more than a year, it's capital gains, long-term capital gains tax, which is more favorably taxed than ordinary income, which is like your W-2 income or the income that you might make from a flip, as Ryan just mentioned. But if you want to avoid paying that tax, if you don't want to pay taxes on your extra $100 that you just made, you don't really have a whole ton of options. Outside of some, uh, you know, owning the stock originally and some sort of tax advantage fund like a Roth or whatever else, 401k, you can, as far as I'm aware, I think the only really thing you can do is uh, invest in an opportunity zone fund. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know of any other way to reduce or defer uh, your taxable gain. If you're talking about investing in real estate, there is one other way to do that, which is a 1031 exchange. And we can get into a little bit uh, what the difference is between a 1031 exchange and an opportunity zone investment. But the way that an opportunity zone works is if you had that you have that original $100 investment in the stock. You made $100 because the stock doubled in value. You can take that $100, put it into an opportunity zone, property, business, or fund, and your gains on that $100, the taxes that you would 
ordinarily have paid when you sold it will be deferred for a matter of years. Right now, the regulations say that your gains will be deferred until December 31st, 2026, which means that in 2027, you will pay the taxes on your sale of stock or whatever else generated the capital gains that you would have otherwise paid, uh, say, in 2021 this year. So that alone is a big advantage because if you believe in the time value of money, which I would assume everyone uh, believes, I don't know why I said believe in, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you know what the time value of money is, there is uh, inherent value to not spending money now. There's inherent value to saving money and spending it later. And that's also borne out by the fact that inflation is a real thing and that uh, generally investments increase in value over time. But if you don't believe in the time value of money, then please reach out to us. We have many opportunities for you. <laughs> we have a lot of, yeah, a lot of opportunities. So uh, that alone is, is, is a major advantage, just having to defer the payment of capital gains taxes for some time. The second advantage is that you, your basis in the property, so you know, remember basis being your original investment, in this case, either a simplistic example, $100, your basis in the, the qualified opportunity zone investment increases every so often. So I think it's uh, after three years. I think, it's, it, I, think, I think the first threshold is five years. Five years. And then there's a seven-year one as well, but I think the seven-year one is no longer... I think it might be three, five, and seven or something like that. Yeah. I thought it was um, five, seven, ten. Is it five, seven, ten? Okay. So it could be Consult that. your account. <laughs> Consult your account. But there, there's an increase in basis, um, essentially, which is to say your $100, it's, it's 10. So I think I was just trying to gesture to, to John. I think it's the five-year, uh, on the five-year horizon, you get a 10% increase in basis. And over uh, after seven years, you would get a 15% increase in basis. So in addition to the deferral of capital gains taxes until the end of 2026, so the payable in 2027, you have an increase in basis in your original investment. So your $100 in my simplistic example, after five years would be increased by 10%. If you were able to hold the property for uh, another two years, so a total of seven years, you get another 5% increase. And at the end of 10 years, your basis in the new investment becomes the fair market value or the sale price of that property. What that translates into reality is to say, in 2026, the amount of taxes that you owe on your original investment will be decreased because your increase, your basis will be increased by 10%. Your $100 in my simplistic example will become $110. So instead of having to pay taxes on that $100 gain, you'll have to pay taxes on a $90 gain because you've increased your basis by 10%. That's step one. Step two is if you continue holding that property in the opportunity zone for at least 10 years. So in our example, say you bought that opportunity zone property in 2021, deferred taxes to 2027, and then sold the property in 2031, that sale of the property. So again, using very basic numbers, let's say you invested $200, your basis was $100, and say you sell the property for $500. Under normal circumstances, you would have to pay taxes on the difference between $500 and your original basis. In an opportunity zone fund, if you hold the property for 10 years, you will pay nothing because your basis will equal the sale price of the property. So that's the huge benefit for investing in a qualified opportunity zone property. Essentially, you're enjoying gains after the end of 10 years that are tax-free. There really is nothing else uh, that I'm aware of in under federal tax law that allows you to have gains that you can recognize for free as in paying no tax. I was going to say, I, I've never heard of anything where there is almost limitless tax benefit to the investor. I mean, obviously a right. hundred dollar piece of property that you buy is not going to one day be worth $50 billion. 
know, within the realm of reality, it's almost it's almost unheard of that you would right. not and, be looking at any capital gains exposure. Yeah. And if you're talking about large numbers here, you know, these funds are, you know, you're talking about investing five, 10, 50, $100 million, that $100 million turns into $200 million in 10 years. That's not very unrealistic because, you know, you're doubling the value of your properties, your fund, you're doubling it in 10 years. Well, the, the, the gains that you'd have to pay on a $100 million gain, I mean, that's a significant amount of money. I mean, you're talking about double digit millions of dollars in taxes. For that to be essentially free money is remarkable. One thing I find interesting, not to get too distracted here to get into politics at all. But one thing I find interesting about this, the way that this program is crafted is that essentially what is being offered here is a small benefit today in that you're not relinquishing your obligation to pay capital gains taxes, but you are deferring it for a few years down the line. So essentially the IRS is saying, or the federal government is saying, in lieu of paying these taxes to the treasury today, we'll let you off for, you know, five, six, seven years and you pay us back then. And then if you maintain this investment for 10 plus years, you get this more sizable benefit 10 years down the road. But I think what's interesting about this from a, from a policy standpoint is you're paying, you're essentially offering a benefit in 10 plus years for something that you or these communities will benefit from essentially today or within the next few years. Right. So, right. I, you know, it, it, it's a, I guess it's a, it's a crafty way to push out the, the benefits or the costs to the government of such a program in contrast with a lot of programs that are out there today, which might come in the form of a grant or something that is much more front loaded, you know, where they have to give you X amount of funding today for something that will maybe be built in three or four or five years. And you know, they're sort of playing catch up on the actual benefit or the community is playing catch up on the actual benefit. It's a great point. And one question that I get a lot about opportunity zone funds is um, about this deferral to 2026 or tax tax you know, payable in 2027 is, well, what really good is that? Because I'm just deferring it for, you know, five, six years. Well, notwithstanding the fact that that there's value in not having to pay something right now, um, the idea with these properties, if you're holding them long term, is that these are income generating properties. So by 2026, 2027, these properties are generating money or are in a position to be refinanced, uh, which is not a taxable event, where you can use the money from the rental income or whatever else you're doing or the refinance to pay those taxes that were generated in 2021 or 2020 when you sold the property. So that alone is a pretty huge observation because if not, for the Opportunity Zone Fund, you'd have to pay the taxes in 2021. And even if your property is generating money, you know, six years later, well, you already paid the taxes. So uh, yeah, again, and, just in, in simplistic terms, if you took John's original example and you have that $100 that you reinvested in something else and that $100 was earning 3% a year, $3 a year for, let's say it takes a year to get into service. So it's doing that for five years leading up to 2027. 20, five years at $3 a year is $15. And that right there would be your original tax liability. So a question that I hear a lot from investors is why have I not really heard about this before? Some investors have now heard about what an opportunity zone is increasingly so, but opportunity zones, as Ryan mentioned at the beginning of this episode, are a very new thing under law. In fact, the final regulations for opportunity zone investing were not finalized until a year ago, at the beginning of 2020, was when some of the final regulations about some of these uh, investment platforms came out from the IRS. So we're really talking about, and you know, there were some funds and 
investments that were happening before there was certainty in, in those regulations. But we're really talking about something that happened in the last three years, and more realistically, I think in the last 12 months, have there been more certainty in OZ investing and more funds coming up. But still, it's the case that there are many accountants, tons of accountants that don't know anything about this, lawyers that don't know anything about how to structure this, investors that have never really heard about it. In some ways, it's, it's kind of a, a well-kept secret, unfortunately, because I think that the longer time goes because of the strange deadline in 2026, the less advantageous it becomes to invest in opportunity zones. But it's something that is new. And that's why a lot of investors haven't taken advantage of it or, or even know a lot about it. But we are taking advantage of it. And, and again, as I mentioned, how we specifically know about it, we ourselves are operating an opportunity zone fund in Atlantic City. And that is originally was born by our interest in investing in Atlantic City in general. And then we kind of, after the fact, realized that part of the city is an opportunity zone, which was beneficial. And then it's been used as a means for me to defer a lot of my capital gains because I have had a lot of sales of property in 2020 and 2021. I think this is a good time to deviate real quick from this, but you talked about how you had a number of sales in 2020 and 2021 on which you were the beneficiary of a number of capital gains. I know that this is something that you looked into, but can you talk a little bit about why you chose a a qualified opportunity zone fund as your preferred means of shielding some of your capital gains as opposed to uh, what I think historically a lot of real estate investors have done, which is a 1031 exchange? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. And I think a 1031 exchange, I'm assuming many more people are familiar with than an opportunity zone investment. A 1031 exchange has been around for forever. I mean, for a very <laughs> long time. The concept has been around forever. I don't know how, how long the 1031 like regulation has been in the books. I think it's been certainly decades. Decades, yeah. The, the idea of the 1031 exchange is um, it's, a, it's a like kind of exchange. So you can exchange one, say, investment property for another investment property and on that exchange, you're not recognizing any gains ever. So uh, you don't recognize, you're not deferring it, you're not doing anything, you're just not, rec- you don't pay taxes on it at all. The disadvantage is that uh, you're never increasing your basis in that property. So if you ever want to access that money for any other purpose than real estate, you are going to have to pay a lot of taxes because it's going to go back to the basis that you originally had on your very first investment. So to use that $100 example again, if you, your basis was $100 and you, um, for some reason, had that in real estate, and then you did you 1031 exchanged it for the, the next 50 years, and you ended up with uh, $10 million, your basis is still $100. So you're going to end up paying you know, taxes on the $9.99 million that has accrued unless uh, or until you die. So your heirs uh, do enjoy a step up in basis, ultimately. So you'll be gone, but your family will enjoy a, a lot of tax benefits. So it's a great way to create intergenerational wealth. And that certainly has, I think, happened. And I think a lot of buildings in New York were kind of... Yeah, for, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. So to address Ryan's question about why I chose to invest in Opportunity Zone over 1031 is a multifaceted answer. So to invest in a 1031 uh, exchange, the entity that you exchange, that, that you invest in, needs to be identical in, on both transactions. So what by that, I mean... If you own property A in uh, an LLC called, you know, 123 Main Street LLC, property B also has to be owned in the same entity called 123 Main Street LLC. And that may not sound very hard, but if you have property A owned by four different people in an LLC, all those four people have to consent to the exchange and then continue to own property B. 
There are some ways that you can exit some of these LLC members prior to the exchange. You can buy them out, you can change the membership, whatever. But that does come under scrutiny by the IRS to some extent. So in my specific case, my investors in a lot of these properties where I own with multiple people, some of them did not want to continue investing or investing in opportunity zones. So I could have exited some of those investors. And I thought about that for a while. At the end of the day, I thought that that was a little bit complex. So that was one factor that went into the uh, OZ investments of 1031 exchange. Um, The second big factor is that to take maximum advantage of the 1031 exchange, you should buy property that is equal to the sale price of your current property. And my, you know, all of the properties that I bought were, that I sold recently were leveraged. So for example, I bought a property in Union City for $200,000 more or less, and I sold it for, you know, around $500,000. But the debt that I had in that property, you know, was in the $200,000 range. So I would be required then to buy property in an opportunity zone that equaled $500,000 more or less, which would require me to take out more debt. In the opportunity zone where we were investing, uh, we are investing in Atlantic City, $500,000 can buy a very large swath of property, but would require me to take out probably in that case, multiple mortgages, because there really is nothing that you can buy for $500,000 um, unless you're buying some sort of commercial building or whatever, which is not the best investment in that area. So just logistically, and that's for one property, I sold seven or eight different properties. So just logistically, uh, I was on the hook for buying millions of dollars worth of properties in Atlantic City, all with mortgages. The prospect of getting, you know, dozens of mortgages just to take advantage, a full advantage of a 1031 exchange was not a very appealing prospect for me. It would have been a lot easier for me to buy, you know, one, one property per property that I sold, right? And get one mortgage that would have been fine. But to have to get seven or eight mortgages or whatever it could be to fully invest all the money that I, I had uh, disposed of in these sales just logistically would have been very hard. And then the final reason is that the ability to, to have the money liquid in 10 years, if I so choose to sell the properties in 10 years with no gains is, is really huge. I anticipate investing in real estate for a long time. But the idea that in 10 years, if I so wanted to, I could diversify some of that money in the stock market and other investments, I could spend it I could use it for uh, my child's education, whatever else. That's pretty huge. Um, If I was doing a 1031 exchange outside of refinancing, um, which is always something that I can do, and it's a very powerful way to access equity in a home, outside of refinancing, there's just really no way to access the liquidity that's stored up in these properties without paying massive taxes. So those three reasons, you know, combined, I think made doing an opportunity zone investment versus a 1031 exchange a pretty easy decision. I could imagine that other people in different positions might have made a different decision than I did. But um, the newness of this this type of thing makes me think that if more people knew about it, I think there'd probably be more opportunity zone investing. It's also something importantly to mention that it's not just limited to real estate. I'm talking in the context of selling real estate properties and then buying more real estate. But any type of capital gain that you have can be applied to the same concept. So we're talking the sale of stock, uh, the sale of a business, whatever else that you might have that qualifies for capital gains can be used to invest in in an OZ property. That's great. Thank you for that synopsis. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot more to get into with Opportunity Zone investing. We can talk a little bit specifically about our fund and all that, but I think that that may be more generally suited to another episode where we get more into the nuts and bolts about it. What our goal with this episode was just to kind of talk high level about Opportunity Zones, Opportunity Zone investing, set the stage a little bit. It is complex. 
if you read the regulations, even if you read summaries of the, the regulations, your eyes will probably gloss over uh, unless you're a tax professional, maybe even if you are a tax professional, because it can get very complex very fast. But what we've described to you today in this episode, I think are the big benefits, the rationale behind why opportunity zones were set up, why you'd want to invest in an opportunity zone and the tax benefits that you would get by doing so. Do you have any other thoughts, Ryan, on that topic? No, that's great. I, I think that one thing that I would like to just reemphasize or that came to mind when you were talking about your specific decision to invest in an opportunity zone fund as opposed to a 1031 exchange is that that 10-year hurdle, that sounds like a long time right now, but I haven't been investing that long and nor have you, and we've almost been investing for 10 years. So the fact that had I bought something at the beginning of my real estate journey, I'd be approaching the point in time when I could sell that for a full step up in basis is pretty crazy. And um, when we're talking about investing in the types of assets that we are in Atlantic City, which is you know primarily smaller stuff, it really does bring a lot of flexibility to the table when it comes to accessing liquidity because you don't have to make the decision about whether you're going to sell a $1 million asset. You can choose if you, you know, if you have a, a capital need for $200,000 or $100,000, you can sell one property and retain the other eight or nine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this has been a great episode. I, I really enjoy talking about opportunity zones, particularly because I think a lot of people don't know very much about them. We'll do another episode, I think, in the future, more specifically about our uh, opportunity zone investing and how we're structuring stuff and why we think it's such a great uh, opportunity for our money. But we'd love if you guys have any questions about opportunity zones or investing in opportunity zones in general, you can find all of our contact information in the description of this podcast episode, depending on how you're listening to us. If you can't find it, you can always email uh, me or Ryan. We're more than happy to chat about it. Uh, my email is john, J-O-H-N, at libertyhudson.com. And, and I'm Ryan at libertyhudson.com. That's R-Y-A-N, not Brian, as I am so often. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should make a Brian at Liberty Hudson email just, in case. <laughs> just, just to, to get all the misspellings. Or Ryan with an I, Ryan. Re redirect. <laughs> redirect, yeah. Until next time, thank you guys for listening and uh, feel free to reach out to us with any thoughts or questions. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of the podcast. Thanks for listening. And John, thank you for hosting us once again. Thank you. Don't forget to visit us at BrickXBrickRealEstate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and BrickXBrickRealEstate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.